Um, this morning, we're going to look at a couple passages as we continue talking about giving and generosity. I mean, I want to start right away with what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21. In the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, right about the middle of the whole thing, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it seems like it's a constant reminder we need in the Christian life, isn't it? When we choose to follow Jesus Christ, we think, I'm all in. But then you come to those moments where you realize, I don't think all of my heart was right there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, as disciples of Christ, the business we're in is following Jesus. And by doing that, by saying yes to Jesus, we're supposed to be transformed into the image of Christ. And, and one day that transformation will be full and the consummation of all things happens, it will be done. But until then, our heart can be easily led astray. We can easily wander without even realizing it, that our treasure is somewhere else. In certain parts of our lives, we may put our hope somewhere else, but we're supposed to be transformed. That's the business we're in as disciples of Christ, and that includes everything about us. And we've been talking particularly about money here in this sermon series. And, and often when uh, pastors talk about that, they put uh, time, talent, and treasure together and say, well, let's not just talk about the treasure part. Let's talk about time and talent. And I've heard this done quite a lot. Not just pastors, by the way, are guilty of this. Now, that's good to put it all together, and we do bring up all of those. But let's be careful when we do that, because sometimes by not singling out one, we kind of diminish the importance of that. So somebody will say, well, time, talent, treasure, those are all good. I can give time and I can give talent, but then we'll minimize the treasure part. And some people will do the opposite, and they'll say, I can give treasure, but forget it. The time is mine, and I don't have talent. And, and we'll minimize one or the other when we lump them all together. So let's pull one out a little bit even though we'll mention energy and time and talent and all that, but let's mention treasure as our main focus for these next few weeks. And, and let's recognize that the whole point of what we're talking about, we're going to end all of this sermon series in thanksgiving to God, and it should actually start there. We have a generous God. Amen to that. We have a generous God, and we should be thankful for that, and we should be transformed by God's generosity to us. That's the business as a disciple. And so we've talked, we were talking last week, we brought up the three P's of giving, and I'm crediting Gary Walter, the president of the Covenant Church, for these. He talks about percentage giving, priority giving, and progressive giving. And we talked about percentage last week, that we have to give something, basically. We have to figure out what that is. And the New Testament standard really isn't 10% as much as it is give your whole self. And I'll point out, the Old Testament very clearly reinforces that. Psalm 50 reinforced that same thing today. Psalm 24 reinforces that same thing today. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to God. Simply by giving a percentage, we're recognizing the giver, you see, of all things. But we have to take at least the, the time to figure out that we're going to give something. But also, then, this week, I want to talk about the issue of priority, which we can narrow down to the concept of first fruits that you see throughout scripture, a very important concept. And then in two weeks, next week we have a guest preacher from Berean, but in two weeks we're gonna talk about progressive giving, that is increased faithfulness 
over time. So if you came up with that percentage at the beginning, that shouldn't be the end of the conversation, but the beginning of the conversation. But priority, putting God first, giving God best, making sure God is our priority in what we give. Our council took a retreat on generosity earlier this year. It had about 30 different good questions in the midst of the curriculum that we had. I used a couple last week. Small groups contended with them. By the way, small groups, apologies. One question slipped in there that wasn't supposed to. It was a question, how much do you give? Oops, that was on my short list. You didn't have to answer that one. So good job ignoring it for those that did. Journey to generosity, though, is what we went over. And one of the questions that, uh, of the many that were so profound in that is, this is a simple one, but it says, if an outsider were to look at how I use my time, my energy, and my resources, what would they learn about my priorities? That one cuts right to the core for a lot of us probably, doesn't it? If they could look at my bank statement, what would it tell them about what I actually prioritize? If they looked at my calendar, or if they looked at just what I did after work, what would that tell them about my priorities? This one cuts right to where your treasure is, doesn't it? And we can easily say things in the Christian life like, I value scripture and I value reading scripture, but we never set aside time to do it. We can easily say, I value my relationship with God through prayer, but we never set aside time to do it. We can say, I value the ministry of the local church. I value youth for Christ. I value the mission. I value whatever it is, but we never contribute to it. Where are our priorities in all of this? That's what the question is getting at. To, to maybe get at it with a classic example, uh, Dwight Moody, the great evangelist of the late 1800s uh, into the early 1900s, uh, after one of his revival meetings was asked, and of course evangelism was his thing, and he was good at it, he was asked after one of those, uh, reportedly somebody came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, I don't like your method of evangelism. And Dwight Moody said, okay, tell me yours. And he said, I don't have one. Mr. Moody said, then I think I'll stick with mine. See, his priority of the young person was evangelism, but he hadn't actually prioritized what that meant or how to do it. And we can do that kind of thing. I, I believe this is the way to go, but we don't actually do anything about it, you see. And we need to have the right attitude of giving if we're going to give. And so today I'm not really going to talk a lot about what, but why, when it comes down to it. Why is it that we give? Well, why would we prioritize? What is that actually showing and illustrating when we do it? But let's start with a, uh, an example that we can use as we go forward, and that is the, the, the testimony of Cain and Abel. And so let's look back in Genesis 4, starting at verse 2b, so the second half of verse 2. We need to have the right attitude if we're going to give. Genesis 4 says this, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked to the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Did you hear that word? Some. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Now, as we look at this, first of all, would it change your giving if God directly talked to you after worship? It, it might change mine, I think. I mean, I, I feel like we're pretty good givers, but it might change mine. But the attitude here, what's the problem? Abel gives his best. The fat portions, the good stuff, and from the firstborn. A lot of people talk about this, and they look at this immediately and say it was the type of offering. That's what was wrong, that Cain gave a cereal offering, grains, and Abel gave uh, the, the, for the livestock offering, and so it was the wrong type. That's not at all what it seems to allude to, and the law later will point out that you can appropriately give a cereal offering or a livestock offering, and as a cereal lover, I'm grateful for that. But it points out that Abel gave his best. Cain just gave something. That's the key point in all of this. If you put this in modern terms, let's just assume that both Cain and Abel make $40,000 a year, and they're going to give an offering once a year to the Lord. And Abel comes and gives $4,000, a tenth, to God and presents it to God. And then Cain decides sometime during the year he'll give something and gives $400, which would be 1%. He gave something. Now, the timing isn't exactly clear on, on this, but that gets at the idea of what's going on. One's giving the best, the first portion, and one is just giving something, tipping God, if you will. And the key principle here is first fruits that we're seeing at play. And the key issue is we're seeing that the attitude matters because the attitude is going to lead to action. When it comes to giving to God, we'll see this in just a moment when we turn to Exodus 34, we're simply returning a portion of what God has already given, and we're doing so to recognize the giver, to recognize the one who gave it to us. That's what we're doing. That's why we would prioritize our giving. So giving priority in our giving, giving priority to God acknowledges God's work. That's the first thing we need to recognize. Now I want to look at Exodus 34. We're going to start at verse 18, and it's a longer passage Hang with me. This is a key part of Exodus, by the way. It says this. It says, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. And we're being brought in on the first of three festivals. This is just a recap. These are the meeting notes, basically, of what's already happened in Exodus. But the first of three festivals we're going to hear about the festival of unleavened bread, do it in the month of Aviv. Why? Is it because Israel chose that? No, because God said, I want you to recognize what I did, and this is how you're going to do it. I want to recognize that you, I rescued you, and you had no ability to do it on your own, so recognize that year after year, when your kids ask, have an explanation, Exodus says. Verse 19, the first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is, appear, is to appear before me empty-handed. It already belongs to God. Incidentally, donkeys were very valuable, and God says you can substitute here. But if you don't, watch out. The firstborn already belongs to God. It's an acknowledgment. We are already recognizing God's work and God's give, gift of abundance by giving back or redeeming. Verse 21, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and harvest. 
you must rest. Now, if we look at what's going on here and we think for a moment that this is all self-serving on God's part, God just wants all this stuff. Give me all the stuff back that I gave you. Look at the grace involved. God says, I give you all of this, just recognize me. I give you all of this, just recognize me. And by the way, I took rest and I'm gonna give you rest. People, six days labor, seventh rest. Now, this isn't so startling to us who have a 40-hour work week and planned weekends, is it? But if you live in a day and age where you just work and work and work and work and work, the idea of having a day of rest is a huge deal. God says, take a break from your toil and let your body rest, let your livestock rest. That's a big act of grace on God's part. To say rest matters just as much as work matters. Verse 22, celebrate the festival of weeks. Here's the second festival. With the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering, third festival, at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory, and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast, and do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your, house, of the, of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And those of you that are looking at the last verse, I'll bring it in, last part, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This appears to be a, an act of grace again, God protecting mother-offspring relationship because milk was involved in that last festival. God says, be careful how you do this. But you can see here, three times a year, God says, in those times, I'm going to hold back any enemies when you're most vulnerable, going to do the very thing I ask you to do. I'm going to make it so you can honor me. I'm going to make it so you can rest. I'm going to make it so you have food. Just honor me as I do that. Just remember me. Don't forget the giver in the process. And you can look at these three paydays, unleavened bread, harvest, ingathering. Functionally, they work like ancient paydays is what they are. Just like we have paydays, that's what these functionally are. And give the first fruits at those paydays is what God says. Recognize me. You have abundance now. Sometimes I think, though, we have this misunderstanding of what's happening when, we, when those sacrifices were given. It's as if we have this idea that God uh, wants these things to be gone, taken up to the temple or the tabernacle under wandering in the desert, and then they're going to sit there and just rot. Okay, get cut off the good stuff, let it sit there in front of the altar and rot. No, in fact, these were given for the use by the Levites and the priests who had no allotment. They actually got food out of the deal. These were given uh, in times for the poor, the widow, and the orphan who God said, don't neglect them. This is the social safety net. These were also feasts, for goodness sakes. They were supposed to enjoy the fellowship of one another with the bounty that God had given them. This isn't just wasted material. God says, I've got a special purpose for it, though. And I want you in those times to recognize that I gave it to you. And so you have to consider your attitude towards giving if you're going to be generous, just like they had to consider that. What have I been given? To be generous is to recognize God's generosity towards you. That's what we're doing when we are generous. And your recognition affects your attitude. Do I recognize this or not? And that affects your action. Am I then going to give anything or not? Do I recognize the giver? 
You can imagine that uh, the, the disciples in the New Testament, as they heard from Jesus, you can kind of see different moments where they understand what Jesus is saying and they don't understand what Jesus is saying. You know, they have this tremendous excitement that here we have the Messiah finally come. Here we have the one we've been waiting for, and he's going to bring a new kingdom. Yes, Jesus, bring your kingdom. In fact, what's the last question the disciples asked before Jesus ascends? He said, they say, are you now going to bring your kingdom? Now that all this happened, is it finally going to be done? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. And you can see their astonishment when at times the excitement that they have for what Jesus will bring, the benefits, the good stuff that they're expecting, what they think is the good news, is offset by times when Jesus tells disciples, not just the 12, but, but those that are following him, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in this kingdom. And people walk away. It's a hard word. We wanted the good stuff, Jesus. All of a sudden you tell us this, uh, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Wait a minute, we wanted the good news. Bring back the good news. This is hard news. And we can have the same thing in our understanding of Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 28, he says, I'm with you wherever you go. If you take my word, if you go and teach people to be obedient to me, teaching them what I taught you, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm with you wherever you go. We say, yes. We say, bring the kingdom. We, we want to do justice in the world. But Jesus also tells us, it's going to be hard. People are going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. Wait, where's the good news, Jesus? Go back to the good news part of it. Sometimes I think uh, our attitude can be affected by wanting the good stuff without realizing that we're going to have to invest. And one of the questions I was thinking about this week as I'm thinking about giving priority uh, to God to acknowledge God's work, is it possible that sometimes we can be so interested in the benefits we get from Jesus Christ, from God, that we want to get the maximum benefit with the minimum investment? God, give me everything you have, but I'm not going to give you much in return to recognize all that you've given me. Maybe to put it a different way, Warren Wearsby says, uh, too often we are content to enjoy the gift, but forget the giver. We're quick to pray, but slow to praise. We'll ask for all kinds of things. God, gimme, gimme, gimme. But the praise part, that's not an automatic response. Do I sometimes have the attitude of Cain or Abel, we might say? Abel gives best. He gives first. He gives priority. Cain, he kind of keeps the best for himself. He gives something. And it might seem obvious. I mean, some of us have been on the path of discipleship for a long time, and we've, a lot of transformation has gone on. It might seem like that we have a good attitude. In fact, some of us have developed great generosity. I've been so, I'm so thankful, in fact, for the generosity I continue to see in our congregation. But sometimes we can have the attitude of Cain without even realizing it. That's where we get back into this adding all of time, talent, treasure together. Sometimes we can minimize one to maximize another so that we can diminish the need to do one. Uh, I've talked to people, I've, had, I've talked to other pastoral colleagues who have talked to people who run into the attitude all the time that I'll give certain things, but probably in the areas where I won't give and serve, someone else will take care of that. And you run into this. I remember talking to one of my pastoral colleagues who was talking to a family uh, who had been a part of a big church. They're good, spiritually mature people, but they didn't give a dime at the church because they said, oh, other people are doing it. 
But sometimes we can do this when it comes to service even within the church. Other people are doing it. I don't need to step in. Sometimes I think we want the maximum with this minimum investment. And you see this actually at play in our church lives today where you have people who are invested as one church at their home church and they go to three Bible studies at three different churches. And there are some people who do this, and I run into these people, who don't give to any of those churches. And we think, I can get all this benefit without investing anything. We're not simply talking about church giving here, but bringing it down to a level where we can get to it. We're talking about generosity overall, but sometimes I think we're trying to get a lot without putting in anything on our own, without recognizing the giver in any real way, in any tangible way, in any sacrificial way even. And we have to be careful that we don't, without even realizing it, have the attitude of Cain. God, I'll give you something, but not my best. Let's go back to Matthew uh, 6, to Jesus' words. Read a few more verses around it, because Jesus tells us where we should put our hope. Starting at verse 19 of chapter 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And sometimes even in unintentionally, we'll divide our attention and put our treasure somewhere else. Money, stuff, they're, they're just, they're not good or bad in and of themselves. They're things. But sometimes we give eternal value to them without realizing it. The eternal relationship we should have with Jesus Christ, the hope that we should have in the things that Jesus brings, sometimes we put in our retirement our insurance, our home, the things that we have, rather than the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We make the now stuff, the tools of this world, the eternal, the hope that we have. And we don't even realize it sometimes. Our treasure gets transplanted somewhere else. Our heart goes there as well. And so last week we talked about prioritizing by talking about what percent you give and it's important that we sit down and do that in our own homes, in our own families, to actually do the numbers and figure it out. To make sure, and I'm, again, not simply talking about church giving here. I'm just saying being generous at all. Look at, the, look at the balance sheet and see what's going out that doesn't just benefit me, but benefits the kingdom. What's going to go out and suggest that I'm recognizing the giver, not just taking all the gifts? We need to prioritize. What percent will I give? And we also need to prioritize when will I give it? Because sometimes it's easy to just let it continue to go by the wayside. Now some of us just forget the check, right? Or things like that. Those things happen. But, but we actually have to consciously do it. I was in a conversation this week with somebody who's um, right around 60 and was talking about uh, how the development had gone in their life of, of giving over the years. Back in their 20s, they said, uh, you know, early in their career, they'd sit in church and, and they would give a 10 as the offering plate went by and they'd say, or if I was feeling generous, I'd throw in a 20 and they'd feel good. 
And then they said, I got married. And my, uh, their spouse, uh, they said, all had a balance sheet going on of all the bills, was a very organized person. And on that had, I give to church, I give 10% to church, and then I give to missionaries, and I give to this on nonprofit and that nonprofit. And this, the first person said, why are you giving to missionaries? Why would you do that? And, and, and the spouse said, because how do you think they live otherwise? This is part of our generosity. Had never done the numbers to sit down and realize, okay, if I'm actually going to give a percentage, and if it's going to be a, a percentage like 10% or whatever it's going to be, these are the numbers it's going to look, look like. And they did it with their bills. Changed their world and their understanding of giving. We have to prioritize what we're going to give. We have to pri- prioritize when we're going to give it and make sure that we don't accidentally slip into the attitude of Cain rather than Abel. So giving priority to God recognizes that God is doing something in our midst. God is, in fact, blessing us with things and in this life, and we recognize that by giving something back. Secondly, giving priority acknowledges that God's best has already been given, has been given to us. You look at Exodus 34, again, consider that as we looked at those three feasts. Why the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the month of Aviv? We said it, that's when God rescued Israel. Remember what I did, God says. Celebrate it every year with the people so you remember how I rescued you. Why redeem the firstborn, the livestock, the children? God says, I already own them. Acknowledge it. I want you to acknowledge that I've given you these gifts. Why bring the first fruits three times a year? Well, it's really so God's glory would be shown. So God's purposes could be worked out. But it's also to recognize that God's already given them the land. God expands the territory. And God protects them when they give the gifts even. That God's already at work and has given his best. We're to be transformed by God's generosity to us. And Jesus flags the issue of where we can get caught up along the way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Jesus is asking us. If you recognize uh, the way God did things in history, if you go way back to Genesis, God in uh, what would be the nothingness that was there, which doesn't even exist, nothing can't exist, God created something. Out of chaos, then God creates order. When things are at the most disorganized, God gives his best. Do you see that in Scripture? And God will do that again, we see, in Scripture in the New Testament. But before we get there, let me just point something out. We talked last week about how during economic, dif- economic hard times, people give up their charitable giving first, and it's the last thing to come back. That seems to be the trend that, that plays out when ec- the economy has a difficult moment. I'd like to point out that our giving shouldn't simply be determined by the economy. Our giving simply shouldn't be determined by our bills. Our giving simply shouldn't be determined by our 401k or our pension. Of course, those things can figure in to stewarding the gifts God has given us. Absolutely. But if those are the only determining factors, we're missing something of how God works and how God might, in fact, work in our lives. God says, I'm going to hold things off when you walk up and give to me. I don't think that's just a principle for the way things were. Because I think if we look at the New Testament, we recognize one more time, very clearly, when things were at their worst, God gave his best. 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't even recognize the giver, we were given the greatest gift when things were at their worst. Giving our generosity is a recognition of God giving his best. It's a recognition of God's continual work around us. That's why we do it, to recognize the one who gave to us. So brothers and sisters, we should be thankful that God is generous. We should be transformed by that generosity. Prioritize. Prioritize. If you haven't done it already, prioritize how you will be generous for God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, there are so many ways that we don't even recognize what you've given us. And yet there are a lot of ways we do if we just simply tally it up. We can see all the ways that your grace abounds around us. We can experience that very grace. And God, for those of us who are feeling like that grace is far away, God, come in close. Send your Holy Spirit to touch those people. That they would experience your grace today through your Son, Jesus Christ. For those of us who who live out of scarcity and out of fear of not having enough, God, show us your bounty. Show us how you care for us, even in the smallest of ways, even in the ways that seem to make us most anxious, but we can't even name them very clearly. God, name them for us. Take the force of those fears away and replace them with the power, your resurrection power. God, we pray this, that we would be a generous people through and through, from individual to church that we would see the needs of your kingdom and answer the call, no matter what it asks of us, not just to get the benefits, but to give ourselves fully to your will. We pray this in your name. Amen.